0: How is it already September? I can't even believe it. This year has flown by. I'm entering my third trimester with baby number two, and I'm launching the Fab Four Pregnancy course this weekend. Both of my courses, the Fab Four Fundamentals and the Fab Four Pregnancy, will be on sale this weekend for $197 each. And the Be Well by Kelly protein powder is back in stock. You guys... September is a huge month for us over here, and I'm just excited to celebrate all the nutrition and knowledge that we are putting out into the world before this second baby comes. It has been an absolute labor of love, and I really hope it helps anyone looking to get pregnant and have a healthy pregnancy really gain the knowledge they need to feel confident on their journey. Not to mention, if you join this Labor Day weekend, you are going to receive additional Zoom classroom hours with yours truly. So if you're interested in either course or the protein powder, head to www.kellylevesque.com. Welcome back to the show, you guys. I am so excited about today's guest. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon received her doctorate in osteopathic medicine from Arizona College of Osteopathic Medicine and is board certified in family medicine. She earned her undergraduate degree in human nutrition from the University of Illinois, where she studied vitamin and mineral metabolism, chronic disease prevention and management, and the physiological effects of diet composition. She also completed a research and clinical fellowship in nutritional science and geriatrics at Washington University in St. Louis. I love Dr. Lyon because she practices muscle-centric medicine. She fights protein food shaming with research-backed science on how protein intake supports fat loss, prevents sarcopenia, and she explains how muscles and proteins play a role in decreasing inflammation and how protein deficiency can manifest in disease. I have been so excited to have her on this on the show. So without further ado, Dr. Lyon, thanks for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. I feel like I listened to you first on the Broken Brain podcast a couple of years ago. And I was so thankful for Drew to just like bring you into my sphere. And I've been following along ever since. Um, you definitely are are fighting an uphill battle,
1: I think, yeah. when it comes uh, to it's a, it's a noble battle though, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's the most important, right? And as you know, the nutrition is the cornerstone to your health. So how you do that is really how you do everything.
0: Totally. And it's so interesting to me, because we were just talking before the show started about how in my clinical practice when I'm working with clients and talking to them about nutrition, that a lot of times I'm seeing a protein deficiency in these clients and simply by getting them out of a that deficient mode and getting them nutrient-rich protein, all of a sudden they see Weight loss happen, and they don 't have sleep problems, and they feel more energy and um, you know not that it 's rocket science, but I feel like based on the food shaming of protein needing to be a condiment or needing to be off our plate completely, us as women think oh well it 's going to age me or it's going to affect my genes and um you know cause cancer and there's just there's just the laundry list of myths that I think are really overwhelming for women so they tend to just start to push it off their plate. So can we get down to the basics of like what is protein and why we need it?
1: Absolutely. Protein is arguably, like you said, the most controversial macronutrient, and you know people are very emotional about eating it. But that doesn't negate the fact that it is essential. So when we eat protein, we're actually eating amino acids, and they're, which is simply the the building blocks of protein. And there are twenty amino acids, and of those twenty, there are a group of essential amino acids. And an essential amino acid means that you actually have to ingest it. Your body can't make it. You, you have to ingest it. And really, that's what determines the quality of your protein. For example, animal based proteins are higher in the essential amino acids, which we'll say, you know, just from a very basic level are the branched chain amino acids. I'm sure everyone has talked about muscle mass and you heard back in the day, oh man, I got to take my BCAAs. But, you know, really, that determines the ultimate health of your muscle tissue is having that high quality protein. Based on those essential amino acids.
0: Wow. So, just for everyone listening, it's essential for everyone, no matter what their diet and lifestyle is. If you're a vegan, vegetarian, paleo, keto, carnivore, you need
1: to get these amino acids from your food. Exactly. And that's where the narrative, the current nutrition narrative, is really confusing people. You know, you and I were talking before we started recording, is that we have um, clientele that it's, It's always the discussion of, you know, don't do that kind of plant based diet and push meat to the side or push protein, whether it's eggs or whey or or whatever it is, um, you know, purely for the reason that you need those essential amino acids. And the difference between the quality of protein is so important to understand. So the protein from, say, quinoa is totally different than the protein profile. Of say a burger or eggs,
0: absolutely. So you're talking about the specific amino acids like methionine, tryptophan, um, glycine, whatever those
1: may be. Yeah, and the big ones are really leucine, isoleucine, and valine. So when I think about protein quality, I think about everything that you just said, but I really hone in for really hone in on those branched chain amino acids, and the reason is is because the amino acid leucine which is essential you have to get it from your diet it is that it is like the trigger for your muscles so you actually have to eat protein in the right amounts at the right time to get this muscle protein synthesis which is just a fancy word for actually muscle pro, you know muscle turnover muscle growth and if anyone you know has ever listened to me I will tell you that muscle is The organ of longevity. It truly is an endocrine organ. It's your metabolic currency. It determines everything by how you feel, how you age, how you manage your blood sugar, everything. So, thinking about high quality protein, and in particular, quality protein that contains enough of the branch chain amino acids, and you don't have to calculate this, you just have to think I'm, you know, from practically speaking, I'm going to eat 30 grams of protein per meal minimum. 30 grams of protein, which would translate to the correct leucine amount to create muscle protein synthesis and to turn over your tissue and to help with healthy muscle. And it's really, if your listeners take away nothing, but take away this one point that hitting this 30 gram of protein per meal as a minimum is really required because of that branched chain amino acid leucine.
0: I love it. So when you talk about muscle being the organ of longevity and being anti-aging and supporting yeah. blood sugar balance, I mean, you're speaking my language, but can you, can you break down what are some of the benefits of having more muscle mass? And I think what I'm concerned about, and I'm sure my listeners are equally as concerned about would be, is this going to make me big and bulky?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, really, it's really silly. All women feel that way. Initially, yeah. every single woman that I've ever worked with feels that way. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard, right? It's very hard to build muscle. It takes a ton of effort, a ton of focused energy with a great plan and meal timing, the whole nine yards. You know, interestingly, the concept of muscle as it relates to locomotion or exercise or flexibility and mobility is only one aspect of what makes muscle so important. It's one aspect. So let's take off the table how we look, right? So looking good in a bikini or moving well or being strong. So you take that off the table. Let's focus on muscle as the largest endocrine organ in the body. So muscle does many things. When you contract skeletal muscle, it secretes substances called myokines, making it an organ, a secretory organ. These myokines travel throughout the body. They are anti-inflammatory. They help with um, substrate utilization, meaning the foods that we eat. So, you know, people think that just when they exercise, that that's why they're getting the benefits of body composition because they're burning calories. So, yes, that's part of it. But the actual contraction of the muscle tissue creates a whole cascade of events that is not just related to, say, metabolism. But these myokines travel throughout the body. They affect the brain. So when we think about Alzheimer's or you think about being cognitively sharp or, you know, fighting postpartum depression or mood issues, the muscle secretes something called BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor, right? And then there's, there's a ton of different myokines. So that's just one example of what muscle does aside from mobility and aside from strength. Okay, so that's one aspect. What's so interesting, especially now, we're talking about immunity, right? Everybody's talking about immunity. Did you know that when you contract healthy muscle, it secretes something called interleukin-6? Now, people are going to be like, but interleukin-6 is this bad cytokine, right? So you've heard of the cytokine storm or, or you know, the, the subsequent inflammatory effect. Well, muscle, when it secretes interleukin-6, it is anti-inflammatory and it helps augment the immune system. I love that so much. You're training your body and your immune system at the same time. You are, and it's mind-blowing, right? But the rub is you have to have a solid foundation in nutrition from high quality protein to protect this incredible organ. I mean, I can't even say it enough. So we've taken the strength part away. You take the mobility part, all that's important. But you are now dealing with an immune organ system. You are dealing with an organ system that affects the brain. You are dealing with something that is your metabolic currency. So your resting metabolic rate—you know—it's one of the the largest sites for glucose disposal. It determines your carbohydrate threshold: how many carbs you can eat. Right? There's so you many know.
0: things I want to break down there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go
1: through um, for people listening. What is resting metabolic rate? So it's the amount of energy that you burn at rest, and really. You know the brain is highly active and the kidney is highly active but you it's, it's very hard to change those numbers muscle tissue is also active at rest and active at exercise and what's so interesting about muscle tissue is it's pliable it's malle- it's malleable you can change it you can add to it I mean arguably we can't add brain volume right or you can't add kidney volume I suppose if you had some pathology but you know you don't want to add that right right what You do want to add is when you add healthy skeletal muscle tissue, right? You actually have the capacity to augment your resting metabolic rate, augment your immune system, augment your metabolic currency. It's just all these things that you can actually do, right? We you don't have the capacity to change your kidney,
0: right? How how does it work when you want to add muscle mass? What do you need to do to do that and If you're not doing those things, are your muscles deteriorating?
1: And how long does it take for
0: them to start to deteriorate? These are great
1: questions. So to optimize muscle tissue, you probably talk a lot about this with your clientele. You have to do resistance training. I mean, it's ideal. And you have to get enough protein. I typically recommend one gram per pound ideal body weight in high quality protein. Um, That should be divided between 30 to 50 grams per meal. To stimulate muscle protein synthesis to get that robust amino acid, you know, in the, the amino acid amount in the bloodstream at once. So you can't drink a sh- protein shake over the day, right? So that really takes away from the concept of what we need to do. It's getting a bolus amount to raise that leucine level in the blood. Got it. Um, so that, that's really important. You shouldn't just snack on protein throughout the day, that's a bad strategy. You know, you shouldn't just sip on your protein shake or your amino acids throughout the day. That's a bad strategy. But to have it at one discrete time, so eating in discrete meals. Um, So the other thing that you asked me, which I love this question, how long does it take to destroy muscle tissue or how long and how fast does it take to lose muscle tissue? I want everyone to get this visual, this visual of a marbled steak, okay? That is a unhealthy. I mean, listen, obviously it doesn't really happen to us, but that concept and that visual is what happens to unhealthy tissue. You get fat deposits in the tissue. You get collagen deposits You know, within the fibers. Not ideal, right? And this actually decreases the capacity of the muscle tissue. So how long does that take to happen? Well, it starts in your 30s if you don't do anything about it. you know, (laughs) know, it's so interesting. We think about all these diseases of aging happen quote later on in life. An example would be Alzheimer's that starts in your thirties and forties. Right. Right. That's type three diabetes of the brain, which is directly related to the quality of your muscle tissue because it's related to your body composition.
0: Absolutely. So if someone works out, and they say have a workout schedule every other day of lifting weights, or they work out thirty minutes every day. Is there a certain amount of time? Like, let's say they left for vacation and they didn't move their body, or yeah. they took took some time off. When does that deterioration start so, to okay. happen, and that
1: marbleization yeah. start to happen? So the marbleization takes a, quite a while, and this is you know you were talking about research from uh, Stu Phillips' lab and Doug Patton Jones' Doug Patton Jones' lab. And they really focus. Well, Doug Patton Jones is a researcher who's really well known for bed rest studies. And that, you know, within two weeks of bed rest, you do see a dramatic decrease in muscle tissue and a decrease in strength and a decrease in size. This is this is older individuals. I will tell you that you can definitely decrease strength and power within two weeks of non-activity. And every and listen, everybody listening has felt that. Absolutely. Right. Or even with pregnancy or post-pregnancy, you know, you feel or throughout pregnancy, you know, you don't you can't train to the same capacity. And then postpartum, you're like, oh my God. God. You know. Marvelization is happening. It takes a while. It really takes a while. And the key to preventing that is allowing your muscle tissue to empty. You know, oftentimes people have this fat focused paradigm of thinking about obesity. They feel that uh, adipose tissue and fat's the problem. The reality is, is there, we have a failure of the fat-focused paradigm. It's not real. What happens is, is the muscle gets defects in it first. So the muscle becomes defective. There's an inability to use the substrate, whether it's glucose or fatty acids. Everything, it's like packing a suitcase. Everything then spills back over into the bloodstream. So the real issue, and that starts years before you start putting on weight. That's not this sudden thing, right? There are defects in the muscle tissue, whether you're not moving enough, whether your you know calorie load is too high. Muscle tissue is a primary disposal for glucose, for carbohydrates. So, really, when you think about it, you know, it's not about being over fat. It truly is about being under muscled. And muscle is the solution, which is why. It's so difficult to treat obesity because everybody is focused on a symptomology.
0: Right. And they're focused on calories and they're focused on,
1: they're not focused on building, they're focused on breaking down and losing weight. Right. And if we were to even throw a little esoteric mindset into this, if you focus more on the problem and you're constantly looking at the problem, then you have a failure of a peripheral vision to see a solution.
0: Right. Let's talk about um, the muscle as a disposal place for glucose yeah. and how are, we, how are we making sure that we're pulling glucose out of our bloodstream as fast as humanly possible and that we're able to use it and burn it in our mitochondria. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm obsessed with blood sugar balance and I know that muscle plays such a key role in that and a balanced plate. Um, can you walk us through how you work with clients
1: to, to, get, yeah. to support that? So, so, you know, I do a lot of blood work. And um, one of the other things that I think is really important is getting that nutrition understanding in place. So, when you're training and when you're looking for healthy blood sugar regulation or utilization of your muscle tissue, I believe that training in a low glycogen state can be very beneficial and low glycogen state is not particularly a a way in which you're training for quote performance because you don't really have the fuel, but a low glycogen state is when you deplete the muscle tissue. Um, There is some evidence to suggest that when you deplete the muscle tissue, it secretes more of these myokines that I was talking about. Um, You know, and of course, this is just my personal Recommendation. The literature shows both ways. Sometimes it doesn't show a difference. Uh, So I think that's very important to have intellectual integrity about that, that this is not what all studies say. Uh, But some studies do suggest that training in a low glycogen state can be very beneficial for the muscle. One of the other things when you think about muscle as metabolic currency, it is the site for glucose disposal. So we talked about that. If you don't want to put on adipose tissue, if you don't want to get diabetes, you want to make sure that your muscle is able to dispose of that glucose. So the more muscle you have, the more disposal unit you have. Also fatty acids, right? You have to get you know fatty acids out of the bloodstream um, or you do, you burn them for fuel and muscle is a very large site for fatty acid oxidation. Also very important.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk about low uh, low glycogen state um, and depleting your muscle a little bit more because I think sure. that's really interesting for... I have clients who get really excited about working out and then they want to go run their first marathon. And then they get with their marathon training team and they've got the gels and they're never without a constant flow of sugar to keep them going.
1: Which... My husband. Yeah.
0: <laughs> which is obviously makes for an easy fueled run because you have this constant flow of, of glycogen. But what I sometimes see is elevated um, A1C and you're like, these people are running 5, 10, 15 miles sometime. Yeah. Yep. And we see the signs of metabolic disease where they're carrying their weight in the middle yeah. and you don't see the muscle strength in, in their limbs and their glutes. In the same way, and they've definitely prioritized more of like a cardio-based training model. But what can we talk about? Whether it's cardio or strength, what that means to be in a low glycogen state. Um, what would day in the life of you look
1: like to be in a state that type of a state? I, I think that that's a um, a really great question. It's it's likely different for everybody. Um, so there is, you know, when you think about depleting muscle glycogen, and you know, the first thing that you deplete is obviously liver glycogen, right? So liver is the main organ for blood sugar regulation, which um, most people don't really think about. And then once you deplete the liver, then you move to the muscle, and that it takes, you know, quite a long time. So for low glycogen training, the best way to really understand and determine that within yourself, um, without having to do a bunch of tests, is really getting a sense of your total carbohydrate threshold. So for example, um, let's say you are a lower carb person, right? Um, You can, and you're doing a ton of activity. So you know that you burn between, so let's say you're over 120 beats per minute, your heart rate and your carb. So the, the literature would suggest that you can use between 30 and 70 grams of carbohydrates per hour, right? Right, Uh, which is a lot. I mean, I don't. I don't even think people use that much. Um, You know, I suppose it depends. You know, my husband runs a lot, so he perhaps uses that. So, if you're thinking about how much activity you're doing, and then how much you're actually eating, you know, the the RDA recommends 130 grams of carbohydrates a day to maintain uh, your glucose need. I think that that's ridiculously high. Truly. People aren't working out hard enough to maintain that type of a carbohydrate I think I think a good baseline to start at would be around 90 grams of carbohydrates. Totally not supported in literature. This is just from seeing many, many, many patients and years of experience. You start with 90 and then you can adjust. Um, of course, you can throw on a continuous glucose monitor. But okay. if you're young and healthy, you're able to maintain good blood glucose no matter what.
0: Is that, um, is that total carbohydrates or net carbohydrates? Yes.
1: No, I don't do net. I actually, a lot of people do do net carbohydrates. I tend not to utilize net carbohydrates. So the, the net carbohydrates is obviously the fiber to carbohydrate ratio and then what you put absorb. Right. I actually tend to just look at carbohydrates as carbohydrates. Yeah, that works great.
0: I was just clarifying because I feel yeah. like people talk a lot in net lately and, um, and I just don't want people out there doing net, net ninety. After yep. this podcast,
1: <laughs> yeah, and listen, um, right, and that—that's a great place to start, and then you can adjust up or down. So for me personally, I'm a very low carb person, and the way in which I get away with that is the body has a mechanism to generate its glucose from protein. So for every hundred grams of protein you eat, you can go through the process of gluconeogenesis, which is the generation of new glucose from protein. So for every hundred grams of protein, you actually generate sixty grams of glucose. Wow.
0: So, if you're looking at protein need throughout the day, you mentioned that people need thirty to fifty grams of protein at, per,
1: at, meal. per, per meal.
0: meal. And how many meals do you recommend your clients eat?
1: That depends on the goal. Um, really, it is also personal preference. For sure, two meals, mm-hmm. uh, which would then you know, if you're looking for. Weight maintenance, weight loss, you know, you're looking at a minimum of two meals. If you're looking for muscle building, you're looking at around four. Got it. Um, Two meals a day is okay for weight loss, and three meals is okay for maintenance. You know, if you really just wanted to think about how to do it, Um, I am not a huge fan of one meal a day, I think that's a bad strategy. Um, I think its it's a really bad strategy, and listen you 're not going to necessarily optimize body composition with two meals a day because the the protein threshold for utilization, you utilize all of it, but the the muscle protein synthesis aspect uh, stops at around fifty grams. so that means you're only stimulating muscle tissue twice a day. So for optimizing body composition and, and lean muscle mass, that's not the best strategy. It will maintain what you have, but if you're looking to increase it, Uh, perhaps that's not the best strategy.
0: Got it. So let's talk about day in the life of you. Yeah. That's one of my favorite questions. And I like to understand from experts because a lot of times they've taken a lot of the research into account. And uh, obviously everything's bio-individual, but based on your lifestyle and what a day in the life of you looks like, how are you eating to optimize body composition and protein synthesis?
1: I tend to be a big faster. I'm not a big morning eater. Um, starting at around 11 or one o'clock, I'll have some. I'll, I'll have a bigger meal. My first meal of the day is always protein and fat. I don't do carbohydrates. The first meal. Um, I personally eat around three meals a day, um, and they're obviously discrete meals, and they're a larger protein load with um, moderate fat and really low carb. And my carbs come from. Mostly greens, and that, and that's pretty much it. Um, if I feel like I trained really hard, I put my carbohydrates either after training or later on in the evening, because I feel as if if you eat carbohydrates earlier on in the day and you have a bit of an unbalanced meal, you're then chasing your metabolism the whole day, right? You're chasing blood sugar. You know, you now increase your glucose, and then secondarily your insulin, and then you drop your glucose, and then you're increasing cortisol and all kinds of other things. So I think it's just much easier for people to essentially backload their carbohydrates. I think that's a great strategy and very feasible. So that way, you know, you're not necessarily taking it away from people, but you're utilizing it later.
0: I love that too. I feel like the blood sugar roller coaster can really derail people's goals and plans. Exactly when they're crashing out and then they can't think straight to make a decision to focus on protein again. It's, it's a really lot easier true. to sleep that off. Yeah. So what about protein deficiency? What are some signs of protein deficiency? And is there... A, I mean, you had said one gram per pound of body mass on average yeah. per person. Yeah. Um, what are some things that you see in your practice um, which are signs and symptoms of protein deficiency, and how can it manage
1: protein deficiency in the westernized culture? Really, we see suboptimal protein intake, but protein deficiency would be like kwashiorkor, right? So, we've seen kwashiorkor with the, the big bellies. I mean, you're talking about protein energy malnutrition, it um, doesn't really happen so much in western societies. However, you do see um, suboptimal protein diet, and what that looks like is Really poor body composition. Um, and again, these are subjective markers. Uh, you can have really low albumin in your blood. Uh, that's uh, another marker. But what I tend to see is a lot of hair loss, a lot of fatigue, a lot of brittle nails. And, you know, I, I don't have any uh, scientific evidence for this, but they have a real, there's a really poor dentition, poor skin, poor dentition, you know, all the things that, Well, I mean, dentition doesn't necessarily require protein per se. Um, Low bone density, also related to low protein intake, and that that literature is pretty solid out there. So what's depression. your prescription for osteoporosis? <laughs> Sorry, even depression and anxiety, because you need those for neurotransmitters, right? Yeah. I see poor gut health, right? Because you need amino acids for the enterocytes, especially glutamine.
0: Yeah, that's always a number one of the number one supplements that functional MDs will put someone on immediately when they see leaky gut. Um, okay. Awesome. So when it comes to that 90 grams of carbohydrates a day and titrating up or down, what Mm -hmm. recommend that, what recommendations would you have for people if they were starting at that number and focusing on either post-workout or carb backloading towards the end of the day? What does that carbohydrate intake look like on a plate? What are some
1: examples? Yeah. This is... um, I'm really glad that we're also discussing this because carbohydrates should really be thought of in a meal-to-meal threshold. And the reason is, is you don't want to create a robust insulin response. Okay? It's interesting when you think about blood glucose or you think about glucose, glucose is cytotoxic. It's toxic. And we only have one mechanism in the body to get rid of excess glucose, just one, which is insulin. But if you're hypoglycemic, the body has many other ways to manage it, right? It has cortisol, it has glucagon, it has all these other ways. Um, but we only have one way to deal with carbohydrates. So that makes me just think from an ancestral perspective that we just weren't designed to have high amounts of carbohydrates. you know, so if you think about it from that perspective, then you have to think about carbohydrates as a meal to meal basis. And what that looks like is, anything over 40 to 50 grams of carbohydrates per meal creates a more robust phase two insulin response. So insulin is released in two phases. There's preformed, and then you have to make some insulin, right? So protein for all the science nerds out there, people say, ah, protein increases your insulin. No, it, incre- it, it just causes a phase one insulin release necessary for muscles. Um, But that phase two insulin response is when you start to see in your blood elevated levels of fasting insulin. You do this over a period of time. You then subsequently begin to drop your blood glucose. And then you're chasing, again, this roller coaster. So 40 to 50 grams of carbohydrates or less per meal, unless, of course, you're training really hard. Then you can get away with intercarbohydrates, post-carbohydrates. You can match your utilization. That's great. And you oh, ask yeah. what kind. Um, yeah. Well, it really depends on you. You could have, you know, we eat a lot of sweet potato. We eat a lot of white potato in our house. Uh, sweet potato, white potato, a lot of greens. Um, yeah. You know, we'll even throw some berries in there. My daughter loves berries.
0: Yeah. So you're, um, you're a mom of a toddler as well. Yeah. And...
1: Um, I turned one yesterday.
0: Oh well, yay! Happy birthday! <laughs> uh, it's crazy how fast they grow up, and you're like, "All right, we're doing this." Um, what when it comes to feeding our children and their protein needs? Because it's yeah. one of the things that I see in my practice when I'm working with clients, and then they have children, high school, junior high, even young kids where the majority of their diet is really leaning on processed carbohydrates, pouches, easy to eat puffs, things of that nature. How are you feeding your family? I love that you're mentioning white potato, sweet potato, not demonizing those, berries, but really like whole food cellular carbohydrates that are wrapped in fiber and aren't going to
1: cause that massive. We We do once a week, we do some kind of bone marrow, some kind of organ meat. We do a lot of nose to tail. I always, she always has eggs for breakfast, eggs and avocado in you know olive oil. I offer her and try to expose her to everything. Um, so when kids are young, they're growing, so they need more protein. And I think that the RDA is you know don't quote me on this, but it's you know it's gosh I want to say I haven't looked at the the RDA for infants and children, but it's definitely above one. Maybe it's one point eight to two two point two. you know, someone could easily look that up. I always offer her protein first, um, and fats, proteins and fats. She does have raspberries. She loves them. She doesn't really have anything other than that. Sweets, you know, we always are balancing. it. so if you're a busy mom and you need to use a pouch, you can use the pouch, but you got to throw in an egg or you got to throw in some kind of fat. They shouldn't just be having unopposed carbohydrates. Um, we don't do any pouches with sugar unless it's an absolute emergency, the baby's having a meltdown, and we haven't been prepared. There <laughs> is a company called Serenity Foods, which does beef, salmon, and um, pork and bison. So, yeah. we that in a, in a pinch. Um, I actually interviewed the owners. i I love yeah. Serenity and Joe. Yeah, I invested Amazing. in that
0: company. I was like, "You're doing protein pouches? Amazing. Good luck!" But here's my money.
1: <laughs> yeah. like, you know, interesting. Um, I do. You know, and I don't know what they, how they pack it in the pouch. Like, if the pouches, I'm sure you guys probably talked about the safety of the pouch.
0: Yeah, they use um, they use a tetra pack, and they're lowering endocrine disrupting chemicals, and like removing things of that, and then, uh, things like that. They had to figure out their formulation so that the the proteins would not congeal, and everything would like end up in the pouch. And they it was a long road for them, but they they after two years brought them to market.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. So then, so the, the stuff from the pouch doesn't actually get into the food.
0: Yeah, they they have um and they have the lowest when it comes to when we saw all of like the heavy metal exposure as well in in baby foods yeah. just like a year ago. Um, they're actually on European standards and sort of
1: working with the FDA to set set standards for pouches. Amazing.
0: Yeah, they're great. They're phenomenal. I'm like obviously obsessed with that. company. so that
1: so that kind of a thing. You know, okay. um, it's it's a lot of whole foods. I mean, we don't do. A, a lot of pouches. Um, we do a lot of ground beef, ground bison, and again, lots of fats and organ meats. I
0: love it. I think no matter what age you are, whether you're a toddler or you know, aging, and yeah. I know you had a fellowship in, um, and, uh, did, geriatrics. In, in geriatrics. I'd love to know how our protein need increases as we age um, and how it can support uh, the prevention of sarcopenia. And what is sarcopenia?
1: Sarcopenia is the destruction of muscle mass and, and tissue, and it's really the size and uh, uh, innervation of motor neurons. And it's something that really happens to all people. You, you know, I hate to say that it's true, but there is this decline that happens with aging. You know, you do lose motor uh, motor units, you do lose strength, and you do you do lose mass, right? You have to work really hard as you age, or if you are against any kind of inflammation, you have to work really hard. It just has to happen um, to maintain that muscle tissue. You could lose up to 10% of your muscle mass per decade.
0: Wow. That's For a major, us. yeah, that's a, that's a major change in your metabolic rate. That's a major change in your body's ability to
1: release those exactly. myokines, prevent depression and anxiety. Exactly. You functioning so now you've now you have put two and two together, right? So yes, exactly. If you lose ten percent of your muscle mass, you've now lost your metabolic currency. You're starting to lose um, parts of your robust immune response with interleukin six. You've decreased the quality of your tissue. All these subsequent things happen when you begin to lose that tissue. Absolutely.
0: So as people are aging, what are like a couple of tips that you give clients um, and to prevent sarcopenia, and when you say work really hard, what does that look like for? That, for so that for means having
1: a good resistance training where you're going to either perceived failure or you're lifting heavy. So let's say you don't like to lift heavy, you have to go to failure, right? Can't, failure. can't do
0: another, can't do another rep.
1: So if you can't go heavy, you, ha- you know volume always trumps everything, but it has to be high quality volume, right? So, you have to do the volume and you have to do the resistance exercise. As much as I love yoga, you can't, that doesn't count. Sorry. Got it. That's okay. Sorry, also doesn't count, right? You have to move your body against resistance. Um, and that would be a three to four day a week kind of a thing. You can have a very well designed program, but you have to put in the effort. And that's a big change for a lot of women. A lot of women are not into lifting, right? It's just not something that perhaps has been at the forefront of their mind, right? Um, so that is going to be one very important thing to prevent sarcopenia. You also, like I said before, you want to move the needle from 30 grams to closer to 50. Because as you age, you get this tissue phenomenon called anabolic resistance. And that means that the body's ability to utilize protein, the efficiency goes down.
0: And is that, so based, can, on, yeah. is that based on like cellular health, yeah. mitochondria?
1: Yes. No, it is a mechanistic... Action that happens, and it's, you know, and this is just from the literature. There's randomized control trials that just show that there is a decreased efficiency and a decreased robust response of muscle protein synthesis. The way to overcome that is to flood the body with the amino acids, but you need the whole spectrum of amino acids. You need the branch chain amino acids, but then you also need the other amino acids. And the way to do that is by getting 50 grams of protein per meal, you can overcome that anabolic resistance. That's really important. You know, especially if women are going through hormonal challenges. When women are perimenopausal and their estrogen is declining, that's when they put on weight. And that's also the same time that that sarcopenia really... They, they begin to lose muscle mass. So there's a muscle mass loss and a weight gain that happens that's largely adipose tissue. Um, estrogen does play a role in metabolism, glucose metabolism. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So the way to prevent it is resistance training. And then when you're done training, you have protein right after because the muscles are primed.
0: Let's talk about that window of time after working out and protein intake. Yeah. Um, what are the optimal times for protein intake post-workout? And is there, a is there, in your professional opinion, a perfect time to work out or a better time to work out for people when it comes to yes. so optimizing muscle to, tissue?
1: Whenever you're willing to do it is the best time. I, I do best at eight in the morning. If you get me before in the morning, I'm just not, a, I mean, I'll do it, but man, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of doing it later in the evening. So compliance is key. Compliance creates... Body competence. After that, you know, you you know, whenever you're willing to train. And then after you're done training, the literature is still not convincing for women, right? It just hasn't, they haven't done a ton of studies on women. But for men, the majority of the, the research is done in men. They say that there is no quote optimal anabolic window okay that's that's one school of thought but the other school of thought is if you're aging the optimal window would be as soon as possible after right so there's geriatrics there's aging tissue that tissue is optimized post training if you're young and you're driven by hormones and perhaps you can be a little more laxidical than just get it in within that 24 hour period but if you have any kind of chronic inflammation or any kind of chronic disease or any kind of catabolic condition, there's no harm in actually having that protein intake.
0: I love that. Let's talk about disease, um, disease and how getting an optimal amount of protein can support healing and yes.
1: longevity in that respect. Well, um, getting the right amount of protein will really determine everything about your trajectory of health. Um, it's the way in which you repair your body, and the body is against or undergoing a ton of stuff all day long. And just from the basic repair, right? You you regenerate your liver, you regenerate your gut tissue. You're constantly regenerating your skin and regenerating these body parts. Um, the way to do that is you have to, you know, for optimal regeneration. So that you can use the protein to do other things, you have to get the you gotta get the optimal amount. You have to get enough protein so that you can do all these things. And I'll give you an example. So the amino acid, the amino acid arginine is the precursor for something called NO2, nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator. If you are sub-threshold on your protein, the majority of your protein goes through body tissue and, and and other things. It doesn't have the luxury of being utilized for vasodilation because it has to cover the basic repair, right? So now if you cover the basic repair and then you get provided extra, a more optimal amount, you can lower your blood pressure, right? So it's just thinking about it in ways like, sure, you could do a low-protein diet, but why would you? The body is struggling so hard every day to turn over and repair but when you give it enough substrate to work with, it's kind of like a bank. Let's say you wanted to buy a house, but you're living pay to, paycheck to paycheck. So same thing. Yeah, you don't have the excess of the luxury to,
0: to, do, to do the, the remodels or to, or to <laughs> upgrade or to buy oh my the God, new house. Optimize it later. Are there other amino acids that have a direct effect on our body's ability to do something? Everything.
1: You've got twenty. We'd be here all day. You got you know. So let's just take some of the big ones. So, leucine is really important for um, leucine is really important for branched chain. I amino- for muscle protein synthesis, it's really the major one. Um, but it also increases fatty acid oxidation. So you want to burn more fat. This is one of the mechanisms in which higher protein is helpful. Okay. Also, there's this thermoeffective feeding. It takes a lot of energy to get the nitrogen group off. Glutamine is another amino acid, which is really important for number one, gut health, because the cells of the enterocyte typically utilize glutamine as their primary fuel source. Also, cells of the immune system use glutamine. So, it uses glutamine over glucose. So, you want to have healthy lymphocytes or neutrophils, your body requires glutamine. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's a ton the list goes on and on. Yeah, I know. And it's, but, you know, the the really, you know, um, it's essential for glutathione production. Um, you know, you've got cysteine and methionine. Um, so, but the way to really think about it is you can think about the individual amino acids, but what is so much more effective is understanding that the quality of protein, which is made up of these 20 different amino acids, is different. And it's the... Amino acids that are available in different amounts. And really, by getting high quality protein and understanding the importance of high quality protein and the impact it has on your muscle tissue, everything else falls into place.
0: It's a great way to wrap up the show because now I can just ask you what are your favorite types of protein? What should people (laughs) be putting on their plate throughout the day? Um, Instead of thinking about the nitty gritty and the amounts and the quantities, it's like, okay, well, we know we need 30 to 50 grams of protein to create muscle synthesis. Maybe that's two to three meals for you, depending on your... Or four, if you're really getting after it in the gym and you're trying to really build that muscle mass. But what does it look like when it comes to sourcing the highest quality protein for you and your family? And what are some of your
1: favorite varieties? So, I love beef and bison. Um, I actually use a company called Certified Piedmontese because it's really important. Calories do matter. So, by keeping a lean cut of meat is really, really great. Um, and I, I have a code. I have no financial interest in this company, but if your listeners want, I could give them a code for 25% off. It's, Go for it. Uh, yeah. So, it's G Lion and it's Certified Piedmontese. We. Use that all the time. And it's a leaner cut so you can manage your calories, which do matter, and and manage your fat intake. So that is hands down one of my favorite companies. So we use burgers from them and they have grass-fed burgers. Um, I love eggs. So we have eggs, at least one meal a day. Salmon is great. I said bison. So really, that's, that's pretty much
0: what we eat. Talk to me about protein shakes. What's your favorite protein when it comes to protein shakes, and
1: why? Um, um, great question. the The research really supports a lot of benefit from whey protein. Um, now, I say that, but there are some inf- inflammatory. Some people get mucus. Some people get inflammation. You know, and this is just anecdotally. You know that they tell you subjectively. I tend to not eat a ton of protein shakes myself, but they are very excellent for weight loss because they are quick, convenient, and you can be consistent. So remember, consistency creates competency for people. Um, and they've been used a lot in the research studies. So when I was doing research at WashU, that was one of the things that was implemented immediately for the weight loss studies is it, it takes the thinking away It just to help people. And you have to be able to get over that hump.
0: Right. Um, yeah. I love the satiety effects of protein. And that's a really easy way to get people a more protein than they would get when I sit down with clients and they're having one to two eggs a, a, at breakfast. Right. And I'm like, wow, right. I, I'd be hungry in 90 minutes, but okay. No, and if you think <laughs> about
1: the ultimate the the threshold, the reason I say 30 to 50 grams of protein is because you want to reach that two and a half gram of leucine threshold. The way to do so for a one egg has 0.5 grams of leucine. So multiply that out to get 2.5. That's how many eggs you need to eat per meal. Right.
0: So there's five friends. <laughs> Put five eggs on your plate. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so so much for your time today. This was a lot of fun, and I think yeah. really really informative for people who are looking to lose weight and optimize protein intake, so they can get all the benefits from lowering their blood pressure to lowering their fat mass to really having that, you know that tank to store glucose and bringing their blood sugar down faster. I mean, it's just it it is. It is so important for people to work on muscle, on their increasing their muscle mass versus decreasing their fat mass because muscle does the work for them and gives them all the added benefits. Totally. I love it so much. Dr. Lyon, where can people follow along with you and get all of this juicy protein information?
1: Yeah. Um, well, they can go to my website, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, L-Y-O-N.com. I have actually a very well-curated protocol. It's a free download. It's a great protocol. A lot of effort went into it. It talks about all this stuff. Um, I have all kinds of things on my website. I have a weekly newsletter, which is fantastic. It takes a lot of energy. I put... Um, I write it. I put papers that I'm reading, things that I'm thinking about. So really helps with education, provides a lot of value. also have a YouTube channel. I'm very active on Instagram, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll have links to all those things in the Great. show notes from your protocol to joining your newsletter and following along with you on Instagram. I just, I can't thank you enough. Happy birthday thank you to so your much. daughter. And, um, thank you. and we'll stay connected through the interwebs. Yeah. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Be Well by Kelly. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at bewellbykelly.com and follow me on Instagram at bewellbykelly. I would love if you picked up my books, Body Love and Body Love Every Day. They're sold on Amazon and at all major booksellers.